Hello, welcome to Canadian Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who have already been there and what they did in your shoes. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Nick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? How did you get started in real estate investing? And why real estate? Sure. My name is Nick Pentelichuk. Um, my business is called Clean Cut Real Estate. And um, I don't just focus on, I guess, um, the buying and selling of properties or being a realtor. I am a licensed realtor, but I also own a renovation company. And that's kind of where I started in um, the world of real estate was uh, I grew up on a farm, a potato farm, and uh, learned how to work, work hard. Um, but my family always believed in, in land or developing land. So, um, I got into landscaping. I started a landscape company from there. I got into, uh, renovating in the, in the winters and then, uh, eventually bought a house, rented out the other bedrooms to friends, added value to the home by uh, finishing the basement, landscaping the yard selling it, making a profit, kind of rinse and repeat model there. But um, yeah, I just, one thing kind of led to the next where um, I believe, I, I love having a vision for a property, taking something that's old or ugly or creating a new um, look, feel, or uh, purpose for for a home or a space. And um, I also really believe in in real estate and um, where that can, can take you financially. And, um, yeah, I had, you know, lots of dealt with tenants and, and, uh, renters. So learned a bit of that game. And, uh, then it it eventually led me to start flipping houses and doing some rental properties, sweeting houses, um, and getting my real estate license. So now it kind of all ties together where, um, you know, you can, deal with me to buy and sell a place, um, buy one of our turnkey rentals or do one with us where we, um, can help you with the renovations as well. So you had everything in house then? Um, mostly, I mean, we still want to deal with other people and team up and if we can collaborate, that's, that's a, a, a great idea, but I just feel like, um, construction and real estate go hand in hand. And, um, if you don't understand like the design build aspect of flipping houses, um, and rental properties. Um, and if you don't understand the real estate side of like where you need to put your money or what you need to do to a house or when you need to sell or how you need to sell, um, then there's just this, this gap. I think, I feel like there's a missing piece in between. So I'm trying to, uh, connect those, uh, as one through, through our, our business. That's awesome. Thank you. You mentioned you do some flips, you have some rentals. What strategy are you primarily using these days? Yeah, primarily, like I, I'm, I have done long-term rentals, short-term rentals, uh, quick flips, uh, buy and holds, burrs, um, like flipping a primary residence. Uh, we've done some multifamily stuff. So there, there's so many wholesaling, like there's so many different avenues of creating wealth or doing things in real estate. Um, but what I feel is, you know, kind of, the most steady for us is buying a home, um, putting in a, a suite of some kind, and then um, renting it out, but also putting it up for sale. So if we can make some money um, by adding value to the home by creating a suite and taking our profit and then doing it again, that's fantastic. 
Um, or if, you know, like right now, um, mortgage rates have gone through the roof. A lot more people are hesitant to buy property and it's hard to flip properties. I know you're flipping properties right now. It's, it's a tough game right now. Um, so I just feel like when we add a suite, then at least we have kind of this backup plan. So if our flip doesn't go to plan, things go over budget or there's not the right buyer in the end, then at least kind of our backup plan is that we have a really great rental property that we can hold. Sounds like a pretty solid plan. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's so many different factors of uh, it, things going off of your plan. I'm sure you know that too when you're flipping houses that it never nothing ever goes to plan, but that's kind of the excitement of it. And I think I just try and set up our deals so that it's not always like a home run, a uh, hundred thousand dollar flip, but it's not that we're we're losing money either. It's just trying to like cover cover your butt on the backside. If things don't go exactly as planned, then you kind of have this backup plan, and um, it just puts a little bit more uh, assurance into. Um, my business and the investors uh, that we're involved with as well. Do you burr these uh, suited properties then or? Uh, have done um, burrs. Um, yeah, and that's a great strategy. Uh, I think there's kind of a misconception with, with burrs right now that so many people want to get into like these burr properties and pull out all their money. And then I think what's coached or taught right now is that uh, you can be into homes for no money and uh the government really doesn't or like the banks don't want you to be in that situation um so it's either really hard to do or you're kind of like sometimes it's fudging numbers or fudging appraisals or uh tweaking certain things buying really undervalued property i mean it's just not as easy as everyone thinks it is um and i've heard more stories of people doing burr projects where they're actually losing money or like having to put, you know, like the renovation of the project doesn't go as planned and it actually leaves them in a worse position than if they were just to buy a finished turnkey product with renters in it. Um, then if they were to go and burr, uh, that being said, like I have had success doing it, but, um, I feel like it is an advanced real estate, um, tactic or strategy um that people think is really simple and and doesn't go um always as planned so uh, i guess back to your question is that we typically try and just buy the home cash not have uh any kind of financing involved and then from there do our renovation um rent it out and typically keep it that way until it's sold and then we can just turn our money quicker um instead of trying to pull out all of our money and then put it into the next product pull out all of our money so um again some people might think like oh that's a a poor way to to use your capital um we just find that it's a little bit safer you're not going to get like 50 percent returns but you're also not going to see that you know people losing their shorts because uh um because we're not we're not um heavily financed we're not uh, leveraged to the max so yeah there's almost no downside well the downside is that your money is all tied up into one or two assets sometimes but uh, as long as those properties you believe in them and have good tenants in them um then then yeah that's that's where i think we have a little bit more control on the the renovation side so um 
if I believe in my renovation product and I believe what we're doing with that house makes sense, then yeah, that the, the risk is low to us on the back end. Um, just out of curiosity, since you are a realtor here as well, have you considered just selling suited properties to investors as turnkey rentals? 100%. Yeah, that's definitely something that we offer. If, um, if, if you're looking just to, uh, let's say you have a hundred grand, you want to put it into something that is just going to give you stable returns. You have a good, um, rental property that can cash flow, good tenants, um, good longevity of the home. Like the homes we do, we, we redo everything, windows, uh, you know, furnaces, roof, siding, like everything, insulation, everything in the home is new. So, um, you're basically getting a new, a new product and, um, we can even put the tenants in there if you want. Um, but when I offer that to people, it's less sexy. It's not as exciting as buying this like undervalued pr- property, doing some kind of cool renovation, opening up walls, uh, smashing walls, doing demolition parties like you do, right? Like there, there is something about that, that that's sexy and fun. Um, but it's also the risk is so much higher and, um, people don't always see it that way. They just see the upside, um, where, you know, if I pitch to someone, we got this awesome rental property that can cash flow $500 a month and is slowly going up in value and low vacancy, low maintenance, uh, you know, just hand over some money and you get this property. And it's, it's almost just a little too boring for people sometimes, but I would like to connect with more investors who just want that turnkey property. I'd love to, to work with uh, them in that sense. I think lots of people forget that, uh, using your words here, um, stability is sexy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of people are like, Oh, I could do this. I could do that. And I'm like, no, no. If you're steady, like a Toyota Camry, that is sexy. There you go. That's a good analogy. Do you remember those Toyota commercials? I think it was late. No, it was early 2010s. They come out saying that, you know, um, reliability is sexy. Yes. Yeah. No. And I totally agree with that, but it's boring. And so people are like, well, I want the, I want the Lamborghini. The Lamborghini is cool, but it costs you a mint. And, uh, if you have issues with that Lamborghini, like it costs big, big bucks, right? So, um, no, I get what you're saying there. You ready to hop into our first section? Oh, that was just the intro. That was just the intro. Oh man. Okay. I got, I got to give you quicker answers then. (laughs) What was the best deal you've ever done? Uh, this is a tricky question. Um, Jeremy, you gave me like a bit of a warning about some of your questions you're about you're like well i just asked the question so that i can get your interpretation of it because i was like what do you mean by the the best deal like the most profitable um so yeah like profit wise i could talk about uh certain projects that made us a whack load of money but i would say that they were how do i word this i feel like the the properties that we've worked on or or flipped or invested in that get me the most pats on the back or praise. Like when I tell someone about, um, I bought a home, um, a hundred thousand dollars undervalued, um, not to rip someone else, someone off. They were actually begging me to buy their property because they wanted to relocate. They had the house paid off. Um, they told me the price that they were willing to sell it for. I bought it resold it hundred K, you know, we 
cleaned it up and staged it properly and made it look nice and you can make a hundred K profit quite quickly on some of these, these flips. And people are like, wow, that's amazing. That's such a cool story. Like you're so lucky. I'd love to, you know, have that project or have that story where, um, that I don't, I don't even like classify that in like the top three, um, deals that I've done because it was kind of in, in and out kind of got lucky, right. Timing kind of thing. I would say where I'm trying to think of like, what's the wording again? What's my best, the best deal, the best deal, how I feel right now would be there's a, a four level split home that I bought in mill woods. That was an off market property, bought it for a, a decent price, like a little bit undervalued, but not n- nothing crazy. Um, but for suited homes, not a lot of people that I find in Edmonton are, are suiting four level splits. And this was the first for me. So I had to really get creative of how we were going to split the home up. Four level splits have four levels to them. So then we would do, we actually ended up putting two front doors where one door led to the upper two suite, upper two um, levels. And then the other door led to the lower two levels. And um yeah, just the way we separated it and created it, the, the basement suite felt like, uh, like a main floor suite because the windows are so big and it was just something really, really unique. Um, and we added some different properties, like different feature walls. And I was heavily involved with the project, putting up beams and, um, really gave it like a, a personal flair that, that I'm, that I'm proud of. And looking back, um, seeing that the numbers on the deal, if I told you the numbers, I think it, made a profit of like $30,000 or something like that. Um, which is nothing to gawk at. Um, but it's definitely not my, like the most profitable and it took like seven months to do. So, um, looking back, it's not like, Oh man, that was a real, like that was really worth all my effort and time. Cause I put blood, sweat and tears into that project. But man, looking back, I'm like really proud of that product. Cause it was so unique and created like a really cool, um, rental, um, property. So yeah. And I think, you know, I'm probably going down a rabbit hole here, but, um, a lot of the stuff on Instagram, I find, um, which my account might be included in this. Um, I've noticed yours too. There's some other like really awesome flippers in Empton, um, like outline homes, uh, Brixton flips. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of guys who are doing like putting out amazing product or really intricate, cool work. And when you look behind the scenes, it's like some of those projects look really sexy, but they're not actually bringing a huge profit or some people are losing money just to put, put out like a really cool product. Um, but I think people associate when you see something, um, cooler, we go back to that sexy look online. When you see a sexy project online, you think that that means big money or big, big profit where, um, yeah, the ones that. I've found are the biggest return for me are like the most basic renos or like the most simple homes, um, or just buying at the right price, bring the most profit, but they're the least sexy. And then the most sexy ones are probably like the least profitable. If that makes sense. That's just what I've been finding. I, depending on the property, I would happen to agree. just depends on what your demographic is. If you over the top, um, it looks amazing. Yeah. But it costs you to go over the top. So, so what do you do? Yeah. What's the answer? I don't have a good one for you. I guess my answer would be you do a bit, a bit of both. Like find out where to go over at the top. No, it's just that like certain properties, it's like, Hey, 
let's put in the extra um, just to catch the eye of some people or to show people what, what we can do. Um, but we know that we're, we're probably not going to make a million dollars on this, this house and that's okay. But then there's other projects where you're like, Hey, let's focus on maximizing our profit here and really simplifying the project. And even though we could do that really cool feature wall or fireplace or handrail or whatever on sweet bathroom, it's like, you just got to hold back and put in like the simple simple basic finish and that can make you the most money sometimes i like my fireplaces though but you're paying for them usually like well depending depending uh on the situation of of where but sometimes with my rental properties a renter is going to come in there and pay the sixteen hundred dollars rent whether there's a fireplace or not Mm -hmm. you know what i mean or it's like we need a garage or we don't it's not that we need the fancy shelves or fancy quiet uh, closed door, whatever the little extras that you want to put in. Um, but I get what you're saying about the fireplace. It's a nice feature. It is. I would t- definitely tailor that more towards the flip properties though, over the, the suited or the uh, ones for burrs. Yeah. Because the end buyer for the f- flip properties will more likely to pay more for it. Whereas as you say, the tenant, no. Yeah, no, I agree with the like money side, but sometimes uh, the one thing that I do find is that uh, some people come rent our properties and they say your product stands out from others just because you added that extra thing. So it's not that they'll pay more, but they'll choose yours over the guy down the road because you spent you know that much more money or that much more time or effort into making it look special. So like when you look at the numbers on a piece of paper, it's like, Oh, you're, you're actually not showing as good of a return as a buddy down the road. Um, but I might have more options to people who I want to rent to, or people stay longer, or, you know, there's little factors that, um, you can't really show in a performance. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Vacancy is a big one too, as, as you were mentioning there, people, in my opinion, don't, uh, don't account for that enough. So I, I, I do lo- absolutely love what you said there. Yeah. Some people like on the performa sheet, a lot of people put, uh, they allow 5% for your vacancy rate and they try and factor that in. Doesn't matter what property you show them every time it's like 5% vacancy, 5% repairs. I'm going, okay, well, what if we have a really nice property that someone is sold on that fireplace and they don't want to leave because of the yard fireplace, whatever you're offering in that property. And then on the maintenance side, it's like, well, if we renovated the place top to bottom and you're getting this brand new turnkey property, well then the vacancy wouldn't be, or the maintenance wouldn't, wouldn't be that 5% either. Right. So, um, yeah, again, it's just something that, uh, people add into every pro forma typically where each property is so different. And I think you have to really analyze things um, property by property. Arlen Dolan um, mentions that on his uh, social media is how it's like people try and sell property basically based on a pro forma when that's just telling you like the tip of the iceberg, um, which I thought was a good point. I think so too. Um, one of my properties out in Sherwood Park, we, over the last six years, we've averaged about 2% vacancy. It's turned over twice in the last six years. Yeah. And I mean, you probably have a really good property, but that's also like Sherwood Park. Sherwood Park, uh, it's hard to find 
a spot there. So once people have it, they're like, want to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're comparing an Edmonton property, I want to buy Edmonton property to a Sherwood Park property, and the investor isn't from Alberta and doesn't look at the difference there. They're just looking at price point, what's the return, plug in all the same numbers. Um, the Edmonton one might show better, uh, even though, yeah, like you said, the vacancy might be so much lower in Sherwood Park. Absolutely. So we'll switch gears here a little bit. Oh, by the way, um, that uh, that four level split you were mentioning, where can people look at it? Is there like a YouTube channel that they can yeah. enter? Yeah, we just have um, a clean cut real estate YouTube channel. I think we have uh, some videos on Instagram as well. Um, that's kind of been our thing lately. We've been buying four level splits and converting them. They've been, I just love the, the finished product, but it, it takes more work, more time, more money um, to get that finished product. But the sound insulating works better, like running all your your vents, your pipes, your plumbing. Um, yeah, it's a really uh, neat, neat product. So yeah, you can see that on my Instagram. Uh, not a big Facebook guy, but we're on Facebook and, and YouTube for sure. Clean cut real estate. Sounds good. So no, actually switching, switching gears here. What was the worst deal you've ever done? Worst deal? Um, oh, uh, this one is, was in Fort Saskatchewan. <laughs> I'd say this is, I'm the most bitter about this one. Um, cause right when I started flipping houses, so I, I did it a couple times on like my personal residence that I was living in. And then I said like, okay, I want to do this for real and like buy a house and renovate it and flip it. So this was before us sweeting property. So I was working with a realtor at the time. We were just looking for cheap houses. We were looking in like the worst areas of Edmonton and just looking at the cheapest properties. Um, and then uh, one actually popped up in um, Fort Saskatchewan, not saying Fort Saskatchewan is a bad area. I'm saying that the price was, the price was just low for Fort Saskatchewan. And so um, me and my realtor, checked it out and I think you know houses in the area were selling in the 330 range and I got this one for like 285 or something so I I thought it was a real winner I got it inspected the inspector's like oh this is a steal of a deal you're gonna do so well I ended up doing a big reno on it um probably too much renovating if you know what I mean made it a little too nice and uh it just wouldn't sell and it was it was the part that was it was just a rookie mistake on on my part of um I was just basing like I was just going with what people were telling me if if that makes sense like I didn't do my own research enough I was trusting full well in my realtor he's like yeah this is a good deal okay it's a good deal okay and then I was listening to um inspector or whatever random people walking about the house of like oh yeah this is going to be great so I had in my head that it was going to be great um now, now I know what was wrong with that house is that it was off of a busy street on a corner lot. It didn't have a backyard. The neighbor's house was like total hoarder house. And, um, so there were nice houses in that area, but that lot was pretty undesirable. And, um, I needed to know what the maximum potential of that lot was going to be, not of that, that area, if that makes sense. So. 
uh, just a, yeah, a few like rookie mistakes. And I ended up having to, um, rent it for a little bit. And then I, um, I couldn't even afford to pay, uh, like a real estate commission if I sold it or else I would have lost money. So I ended up doing like a for sale by owner and somehow sold it, uh, like a year later. So we, we held it for over a year and, uh, we made a couple grand, but I mean, it was, it was just not, not a winner. And, um, I thought I did everything right. Like I thought I renovated it nicely, but I did it too nice. I thought I bought undervalued, but it was not undervalued for actually the lot that I bought. So, um, probably a lot of good lessons there. So, I mean, it's not a total loss, but it it feels like a loss looking back. Fair enough. Looking back at it, actually, when you're looking at properties now, how do you decide what the ARV is or basically what you can sell it for? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, obviously I have access to the MLS. Um, so there's a couple factors. It's not an easy answer here, but you have to look at not only an area of what things, um, are selling for, but you have to know like what market we're in. Is the market going up? Is the market going down? Is it uh, stable, stagnant? Um, and then like some of those factors I was telling you before, are you across from a cemetery? Are you backing onto a busy road? Are you in front of a busy road? Are you a corner lot? Um, is it a weird square footage? Is it two bedrooms instead of three or four? So you have to really, um, in my mind, you have to create, uh, an avatar. Like, I don't know if other companies do this. I think there's one builder that, that, um, taught me this, but they actually in their, in their mind, they go, okay, I want to build a house for, um, and then they create this like customer in the end. So they'll say, I want to sell to, uh, two working professionals who work downtown, who don't have kids, who like cars. And then they kind of create this, um, avatar person. And then they go, what would that person like? And then they build to that spec. And then they try and find what areas of town they would be in, what they would pay for that product. And then you build off of that. Um, and I, I try and do my rentals in the same way where, um, some people think I'm crazy cause I'm not just going, Oh, like a, a bungalow, uh, in this area, that's three bedrooms appraises for this price. I feel like appraisals are very, um, subjective to like how that appraiser is feeling that day to a degree. Um, or like you could get two appraisers in and they could come back with two totally different numbers. And that's the thing about, uh, renovating or flipping homes or real estate. Like it is an emotional experience where, uh, your home's only worth what that person feels it is, um, when they walk through that, that place. So, um, yeah, you have to know what things are selling for in the, in the area, but that doesn't necessarily determine your, um, value or if it'll sell for that. Like maybe the, another house sold for this certain price, but it might've been a really weird story or weird house of how they found that house and why it sold for that price. And it doesn't mean yours will. So I try and find my avatar of, Hey, I want to, um, build a a property with two suites in it. And I'm going to do one bedroom down because I just want a single dad who has whatever, you know, he, he works out of town. Like you kind of create this 
this story of, of who you want to be renting to. And then you build to that demographic and then, and then rent to them. And then that, that's how I've found success. Cause then I can market to them um, better. I kind of know how much money they're making in my head, like, okay, about, you know, $80,000 a year they're going to make so they can afford this in rent. And this is what they'd want in the, in the property. Um, and then that's kind of how I create um, my values of, of what I think that person would pay for the end product while also taking in um, some of the factors of like the house down the street or this area is kind of average sales at 463 or whatever. But uh, does that make sense? Absolutely. I love that advice, by the way. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. Um, one of the things that I talk uh, specifically with my partners about is a, a tenant profile or a demographic. And you've taken that to the next level and I absolutely love it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, like you're not selling your your home to an appraiser. If you were, it's a different story. Then you have to like be going with the house down the road of what it sold for and, and what they did. But, um, and I mean, that's a realtor's job too, is like to take the emotion out of the experience a bit to be like, well, no, this is what the home is worth. This is what we need to buy for. Um, but there's unprecedented times and we just saw those times pass where we had record low interest rates. We had high demand of buyers and it wasn't uncommon for, um, you know, a family who's going to buy a house to get really emotional over a house. It goes into multiple offers and yeah, we'll, we'll pay 50 grand over list. Like it's, it's weird to say, but that, that was the reality of it. And, um, I think if you create a unique product in the market, um, like you just need the right buyer to come along, um, who can't find, you know, that product, who can't replicate that product and they are willing to pay a premium sometimes. Um, even if it's more than what, uh, you know, a house right beside you sold for. Absolutely. So what are some of the lessons that you did learn in your Fort Saskatchewan property? Oh, uh, Yeah. A lot of lessons. Um, big one was like, again, figuring out who my end buyer was. Um, because I just wanted to make it look nice, but I wasn't going like, well, who in Fort Saskatchewan? Well, like what, who would be buying this? Who'd be buying this corner lot home? Maybe it's someone who doesn't want something nice. Maybe they just want a really big garage. Maybe they just want to, their kids to go to the school down the road. And if they have kids, well then, you know, we shouldn't have a stand up fancy shower. We should have a, a tub and like there's different, uh, yeah, things there, looks there, like what, uh, even finishing like a kitchen, um, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, white cabinets are in right now. They might be, but what's, what's in, in Fort Saskatchewan? Like, that's actually a fair question. It's not that like one type of kitchen is what everybody wants everywhere here. It actually might be kind of a different whether you know there's more families buying an area or more single guys or single ladies are like looking further into that demographic to um to see what what people want um because I was just putting in I just hired a designer to be honest and was like hey make this house really nice and it was this French designer from Quebec and it looked like it looked nice, but it was this like kind of minimalist, um, like French design throughout. 
and we're like in Fort Saskatchewan where people are like, I just need something practical. Like I want upper cabinets. I, I don't need anything overly fancy. Um, so yeah, understanding like the values of certain lots and, um, you know, where to put your, your money and what your end goal with your, your product is, is to be, um, just having a clear vision, like start to finish of the project, um, how to manage a project better, how to, um, budget better. Um, yeah, tons of, tons of lessons. Sounds like fun. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of have to do it to learn some of those lessons too, right? Like, have you, have you repeated any of those, um, lessons we'll call them? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, it's minor tweaks, like each project you're just doing like little minor tweaks because, um, and sometimes you just find yourself getting pulled back into like the same mistake. Sometimes it's like, well, we have to do this cheap. And then you hire this cheap tile guy and then he, the tile's falling off the wall or he walks off the site and then you hire another guy and then you're like, well, I'm never going to hire a cheap guy again. And then you cheap out on, on the painter because right? <laughs> you're like, oh, well, I just had to hire another tile guy. So I need to save money somewhere. So I'm going to paint it myself. Everyone thinks they're a painter. Right. And then you go paint the walls. It looks like garbage and you're like shoot I should have just and I'm not saying overpay but it's um yeah it's definitely like a people industry and like understanding who you're working with and that just takes it just takes time to um it takes trial and error if that makes sense Mm -hmm. It, it takes repetition and um I still don't have like I've done I don't know 60 flips yeah, maybe a few more. And, um, like there's still so much I'm learning constantly. It's never that I can call myself this real estate investing master. I can't do it. Um, I think that's a trademark name actually. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I'm just talking personally. I, I want, I just think of myself that every, every project, there is so much to learn. Very true. Very true. And I'm glad to hear you don't stop learning. Oh yeah, no, it's uh it's right when you think that you have it all figured out, I find that life figures out how to show you otherwise. Happen agree. And so do my windows that we were talking about earlier today. Oh, so you've you're experiencing the, where you feel all good about a project and then you figure out, oh shoot, I actually yeah. have a lot of lessons to learn here. Yeah, specifically with windows. Um yeah, I'm I'm going to learn the lesson here next week. Do you want to talk about it? Maybe with a therapist, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> this is cheaper. That is true. We'll talk about it afterwards. <laughs> so if it's okay with you, I'd like to go into a brand new segment that we're starting up. What are three things that people don't know about you? Oh, three things that people don't know about me. It depends uh, which people. People look at our Instagram and they're like, we have no idea what you do. So um, I guess I can clarify that is that I'd love to help you. Uh, buy, sell, or invest in, in real estate. Like I am a real estate agent, so I can help you with general real estate transactions. We have a good team that can help you out with that. But more importantly is that we're investor focused and want to help you, um, with any kind of flips or suited properties. Um, like if you want to burr or flip or whatever, we can help you out with that. We have some off market leads on properties, but then on the back end, um, we also are doing flips on our own and creating suited properties 
not for us just to hold. I mean, we do hold some and we've held some for a long time, but um, also for us to offer investors just to buy a great turnkey um, rental property. So um, yeah, clarifying that. Second thing, I grew up on a potato farm. My my grandfather started that. My dad took over. I worked on it growing up. Um, at this point, I, I'm not taking it over, but maybe one day uh, I'll get there. And third thing, someone doesn't know about me. Like, how secretive are we going here? Well, that depends on what you want to share. If if you want to tell us your puppy's your first puppy's name, that works. For oh, us. I don't have a puppy, so I, that that doesn't work. But uh, I grew dogs. up. I grew up with no. I love dogs. <laughs> I just don't want one right now. But uh, on the pet subject, uh, my dad always thought that growing up on a farm, if we have a pet dog, you need to have like an outdoor big dog. And my mom was kind of, you know, not into cats and dogs. I don't know if it's like a fear or allergic thing or whatever. Anyways, we weren't allowed to have a dog or a cat growing up. So we ended up getting a, my sister and I chose a parrot. So we, okay, <laughs> we, our family has this parrot. Um, and they apparently live for like 70 to 80 years. So the big joke is that like, um, that I moved out of my parents' house early on just to get away from this parrot. But my parents joke that like, it's in the will for me. Like I'm getting nothing but this parrot. So. Okay. Okay. The parrot's doing well then? Uh, I mean, I hope not, but I think it is. <laughs> I think it is doing well. <laughs> okay. Okay. So not a fan <laughs> of the parrot. Not a fan. Oh, I didn't clarify that. Oh, I just... Yeah. Growing up, I was not a fan of this parrot. Uh, we ended up getting that. It was like the most disappointing, uh, family pet ever. Never liked me, always bit me anyways. So that's kind of the running joke that, uh, yeah, I grew up with this stupid parrot. I wouldn't be a fan <laughs> of <it> me either. <laughs> yeah. Not real estate related, but that's okay. <laughs> And getting back to the real estate here then, yeah. what advice would you give to investors in your area who are looking to scale up their business? Scale up. Hey, so scaling up, uh, like I hope I don't go on another tangent here. We're already at 40 minutes here. But um, I think that um, once someone gets into real estate, first it's like there's this hesitation about, you know, should I take the dive into getting into real estate investing? It's like this scary part. And then they do it and it's like, wow, real estate investing's unbelievable this is how i felt and this is how i i think a lot of people perceive real estate but they do that first deal and they're like this is unbelievable this is my ticket to whatever financial freedom or happiness like whatever it is getting out of my nine to five job and then they try and scale and it's like oh it's the hardest thing ever but i think that's with any um small business is that scaling it, you can't just do one job and then think, okay, now I can do 10 at the same time. There's such a difference between working in your business and working on your business. Um, meaning that like when I was flipping houses, when I first started, it was like one house at a time and I was in there and I was working every day and I was giving it all my time and attention. And then there was a point where I was like, we need to scale. And then I tried to do a bunch at one time and it was like, nightmare after nightmare and missed detail here and missed detail there and went over budget here and like 
this person's unhappy and I was just putting out fires and it was just a nightmare. Um, so it's, I think the first, what I want to say is like, it's really, really, really hard. Like it's so, so hard. Um, and I still haven't, you know, figured it all out, but I think, um, you know, once you get the right people in place, that's a big one. Um, the right systems in place and the, the right expectation in place that then you can do it. But, um, what's the, what's the saying? It's like one plus one doesn't equal two or something. Meaning that like, if you do one project and let's say it goes quite well and let's say you do, you'd make 50 grand on it. Then people quickly add up in their brain, okay, well, if I have three on the go at a time, then it's 150K profit. And that's not, that's not how it works um, because you need to hire more people. Um, you need an office space. You need more trucks. You need more, there's more overhead. Um, so then your margins are actually getting thinner. Or people think like, oh, I, I did well on this one flip, I made 50K. The next one, I'm just going to hire it all out and still make 50K, but not actually have to work on the project. That's unrealistic as well, um, in my opinion. It can be done where I'm not as involved now, um, but then my expectation for profit per job has to come down significantly. So um, figuring out what realistic expectations are and um my mindset has always been uh error on the side of caution like hedge your bet don't always look at the upside of like oh well you know this project is going to make me it's going to sell for you know the it's going to be the most expensive flip in the area people like look at their comparable and be like well one sold for 700 so mine should sell for about 700 you know really be cautious with that um Think about, don't just think about the upside, but think about the downside too. Um, and if things don't go as planned, like, are, are you still going to be okay? Are you going to still want to pursue real estate or is it only about the dollar figure in the end of the day? So, um, yeah, cause sometimes like when you scale up and, and take on whatever, like one time we were doing like eight flips at a time, it was like the most miserable I ever was, but I thought, Oh, like the, uh, the more the, the better but it's actually like saying is what is it more more money more problems or something <laughs> which is so true mm-hmm. um so finding that balance great advice by the way great advice i happen to agree with you right now so perfect so just before we get out of here yeah how can people find out more about you um reach out to me uh google nick pentelichek look up clean cut real estate. We have a website, but still in the works of fixing some things, but Instagram's probably the easiest way to like keep up on kind of what we're doing. And, um, you can DM me. Um, yeah, I'd love to, to meet more investors out there and more people out there. Um, just want to connect with more people in the real estate world who, um, are passionate about this stuff and, um, want to talk like I won't sugarcoat coat things. So I'll tell you, um, not to buy a property if it's not like, if I just have a bad feeling about it or like, I'll tell you about, 
you know, the real numbers on stuff of like the hard times, like it's not all good times in real estate investing. It's not all sunshines and, and rainbows went, which sometimes it comes across that way on, on social media. So, um, we'd love to connect, share stories, see how, you know, other people can help our business and how we can help your business. And I hope, uh, hope the viewers and the listeners actually get to go check out that four level split on your YouTube channel too. Yeah. There might be a couple four level splits on there, but, uh, yeah, 1912 36th street <clears throat> was the address. And, uh, um, that was a fun project, a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat and tears and, um, time and effort. And, and was the payout worth it? Uh, from a financial standpoint, you know, it did okay, but, uh, but it's more so just like the finished product um, of something creative that we did that uh, that I'm really proud of. Sounds fair. Well, Nick, thank you very much. Thank you.